Brother Ivan Tate. Thank you, sir. God bless. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. Dear Lord, we thank you for Scott and Melissa. Bless all the people that are here. Heal everybody this morning. Deliver people. Bless them. Encourage people. Break change this morning. Do what you do best, God, and be who you are. And encourage those that are downtrodden, feel rejected, unwanted, unloved, unappreciated, unseen. Lift up the hearts of the people, God, who need a vision, a purpose, a direction. And God, give each person a sense of destiny that they each feel when they wake up in the morning. I was born for a divine purpose, and I'm going to do great things with my life. Bless all the children. Let all the children be raised and taught by the Lord. Let them be nurtured by the Holy Spirit. Let them be instructed in the ways of heaven and in the kingdom of God. And God, we break all assignments of Satan on all the people this morning. Body assignments, soul assignments, spirit assignments. We break you off in the name of Jesus. We destroy all debt of every kind, God. The debt of the soul, the debt of money, the debt of the mind the debt of relationships, the debt of the past, the debt of guilt, the debt of shame. We destroy all of it and cover everybody today in the blood of Jesus. We open the windows of heaven, God, now that you pour it out on all the people. Bless them and be God who you are, a loving God, an understanding God, a beautiful Father, always present, always ready to encourage. Let not your hearts be troubled. God has already overcome the world. It's going to be okay. And God, we just bless your name. We lift our hands and say there's nobody like Jesus. Yes. Praise God. Wonderful Savior, Prince of Peace, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Alpha and Omega. Thank you, God, that you're the beginning and the end. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And we love you, Jesus, and we're not ashamed of you. We're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed of the way the Holy Spirit does things. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on Calvary and healing us and changing our futures forever. In Jesus' name, bless the service while everybody receives. Amen. Amen. All right, there. Praise the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. I want to talk to you this morning about longevity and how to last and last and last. The truth is that we're in a famine of deep-rooted, discipled Christians. We're in a famine where people are starving their spirits and are dry in their relationships with God. They are a constant, they are under constant attack we have a lot of casualties, and we have a lot of victims in Christianity. Some people go to church for a year, some for five, some for ten, and then they never go to church again. The pandemic took out a lot of people that are no longer going to church that used to go to church for whatever reasons. And so there are casualties all the time. You don't want to be one of those casualties. You want to be serving God at full throttle 40 years from now, 50 years from now. But more than just serving God, you don't want to be a survivor, you want to be a thriver. Yes. And there is a difference between surviving and thriving. 
And we're going to talk about that this morning. But I want you to think about this. Let's give a hand to all the survivors. Praise the Lord. The people that just make it all the way and, and have pain and sorrow and grief and failure and disappointments and, and everything and just constant attack and constant trouble and they just won't let go of the horns of God's altar no matter what they, they they don't have a happy life they don't have joy they don't have peace but they're just willfully stubborn enough to not let go of God because they're going to make it to heaven even if they make it there in pieces and I think we ought to give them a hand for just making it to heaven but please understand that that is not God's plan for your life. I came, John 10, 10, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I came that your joy might be full. Peace I live, leave with you and peace I... Let not your heart be troubled, for I have overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 28. I work all things together for your good if you love God and are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, but and every tongue that rises up against you in judgment shall be condemned, for your vindication comes from the Lord. Praise God. 1 John 5, 4, it is your faith that overcomes the world, and the world has been overcome. Psalm 30, verse 5 and 6, weeping lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's give the Lord a hand for being who he is, and for being as amazing as he is. He's amazing. Jesus is amazing. And so I want to talk to you about thriving in this life, not just surviving. We honor those that survive because there is something honorable in surviving. But God paid the price for you to thrive. He paid the price for you to have the richest life and the most blessed life. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Those enemies that come in against you one way shall flee before you seven ways. The blessing of the Lord shall pursue you and chase you all the days of your life. You shall be the head and not the tail. You, you shall be blessed in the house, outside the house, while you're going out and while you're coming in. Praise God. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow it. This is not a survival life. This is the thriving life. This is not the same as just surviving. This is thriving. Jesus paid the severest price so that you and I could live the highest life. Praise God. Everybody say it out loud. I'm going to live the highest life. I'm going to live the best life because that is God's will for me. And the way has been paved to do that. So let's go over some of these things. I don't think I can give you everything, but we'll give you as many as we can. How do you last and last and last and thrive? And how do you have longevity? We look over here and we see Pastor Albert and Miss Monica. How long have you guys been serving the Lord? So in the 70s. 
same as, same as I did. So they've been serving the Lord a long time, and they're, they're not surviving, they're thriving. Pastor Albert goes all over and builds churches all over Kenya, Guatemala, different places, Tanzania. They're going out there at his age, which I, I know you're only like 50-something, right? <laughs> Are you 70 years old already? You're 72. And I, I know you're like 42, but praise the Lord. So remember what I'm about to tell you because if you don't learn these things, you're not going to have a thriving life. You may be a survivor, but maybe you're in the large percentage of the people that don't survive. We have a lot of Christians that are now atheists, especially young people who grew up in church and have gone to atheism, agnosticism, and have gone to all the other isms that there are. There's a reason for that. Because the pathway they took was not the pathway that we want to reveal to you. And it's the same way with you. You are a normal human being, and it requires divine knowledge, divine insight, and divine light for you to walk down a path that is going to bless you instead of curse you. A lot of people choose the curse rather than the blessing, even though they know better, because the curse is comes with pleasure, and Christianity, that is a, a, a survival Christianity, has no pleasure in it. But, but thriving Christianity is filled with the pleasures of heaven. And those pleasures are much more gratifying, fulfilling, and much more enjoyable than the pleasures of our body and of our flesh. There is a pleasure realm in God that if you can find those pleasures, you'll never again want to taste of the pleasures of your carnality. But keep that in mind because that is a big secret, that you are an appetite-driven person. If you do not have the appetites of heaven, you will have the appetites of hell. And if whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. So we begin at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. The first step to lasting is to be actually converted. There is a type of Christian that is intellectually saved but experientially lost. They have the understanding of salvation, but they do not have the experience of salvation. They live as if they're lost people. They have the experience of lost people. They live under curses and do not live under the blessings of the Lord because they have not yet been converted. Think about what I'm about to say right now. What does that mean? Well, according to the scripture, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The word is species. He is a new species or a new DNA. The result of conversion, the way you know you're actually converted is that old things in your life pass away and everything new is born. The old you dies, the old habits die, the old lifestyles die, the old sins die, the old bondages are broken, the old intimidations are shattered, the old fears go away, the bad nightmares go away, the ugly life, the fearful life, the bound up life, the enslaved life goes away and something new is born. This is the result of not just 
knowing about Jesus, but meeting Jesus and having an intimate relationship with him. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. Praise the Lord. That is the first step. Secondly, if you're going to last, Luke 15, 17 through 21, we know the story of the prodigal son. He spent everything and ended up with pigs, sleeping with pigs and eating pig food and in a lot of pain. He came home and said, I'm going back to my dad because even his slaves and servants are highly blessed. So I'm just going to go back. I'm not worthy, but I'm going to go back and just be a slave. And then the father saw him and said, my son that was lost is now found. He was blind. He now sees. He gave him the robe. He gave him the staff of authority. He gave him the covenant ring. He gave him the shoes of the gospel. He had a big party and celebration for him and killed the fatted calf and said, my son is back and I'm giving him back everything that he threw away. Praise God. This is point number two, and that is managing pain. Understand that life is pain. People are pain. Situations are pain. Circumstances are pain. You and I need to understand that if you do not properly manage the pain that enters your life, that it will redesign your insides and make you into some type of selfish monster. Pain makes us selfish, pain makes us cruel, and pain makes us indifferent. These are things you do not want to allow to live in your life. When you are hurting inside, you must go to Jesus, you must take that pain in your hands and put it at the foot of the cross, and you must say, God, take this pain from me, because I am not designed by you to carry the pain of life. I am designed to carry the comfort of heaven. Praise God. Look at two or three people and say, that's what I'm talking about. If you do not get rid of your pain, then that pain is going to make you into a monster. And it will make you into a very critical person and a very cynical person. It will make you a very uh, self-centered person, a person that looks out for themselves and doesn't care about anybody else, a person that lives for themselves and not other people. All the recipes of grace and all the recipes of blessing will not work in your life because you are driven by pain and pain makes you a victim. And so once you are a victim, you can no longer heal victims. And the sources of your happiness are becoming a healer. Praise the Lord. If you're just sitting there dwelling on your pain, and, and angry at those that gave you your pain, and mad at those that gave you your pain, you're not dwelling in the Holy Spirit. You're not dwelling in the victories of Calvary. You're not dwelling in the joy of the Lord. You're not dwelling in the peace of God because you're going to get bitter. Pain makes you bitter. And so you don't want to be bitter because bitterness is cancer of the soul. When God does something in your life, he brings joy to you and peace to you. And this brings us to our third point, Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. This is the third secret of longevity and lasting. You must become a master of forgiveness. Number one, you must receive the forgiveness of God when you need it. You look up to heaven and say, God, I sinned. I'm so sorry I did that. Please forgive me. And you've got to master being forgiven. You've got to say, God, 
I need to be forgiven. You can't be one of those that says, no, I deserve to suffer. I must go through a lot of suffering and pain. God's going to punish me. I'm going to be judged by God. I should go to hell. I'm no good. I'm terrible. Because remember, you're always going to have people in your life who actually believe that about you. There will be people who, when they talk to you about how bad you are, will make you feel like you should just die. Like you are a scourge and a curse on earth. You shouldn't even be alive. You're so terrible. Those are called naysayers. These are the people you have to be careful not to allow too close into your life because they're toxic and they will poison your identity. Failure is not failure if you refuse it's just a comma. It's not a period. Everybody say, holla, holla. That's what I'm talking about, baby, right there. Come on, tell them. Yes, you are going to fail, but you must manage failure with grace and say, hey, my failure's temporary. Every flaw that I have has an expiration date. And as I walk with God, he will help me overcome whatever those flaws are. God is not as severe on yourself, on you, as you are. Because of your pride, you want to become your own savior and be crucified for your own sins. But I'm sorry, that position has already been taken by Jesus. He died for your sins. You don't have to die for your sins. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and hug somebody. And say, would you give me a hundred dollars just because? <laughs> Secondly, you must learn to forgive people that are unforgivable. If you're going to last, you've got to master forgiving the people you don't like and forgiving the people you don't like that you can't get rid of. <laughs> you can get rid of some people, but you can't get rid of everybody. And there will be people that are strategically positioned in your life to help you become Christ-like. When God is ready to promote you, he sends someone to offend you. If you forgive that person and love them, you go on and are promoted and blessed. If you don't forgive that person and don't love them, you retest. And so you, must, you could spend your entire Christianity retesting on the same person because you make them an idol of unforgiveness and build a shrine to their mistakes and their abusive behavior towards you. You have exalted them above God. You also need to learn how to forgive yourself because you are with yourself all day long. And the flesh is smelly, it is ugly, it is deceived, it is deceiving, it is wretched, it is cruel, it is selfish, it is indifferent, and it is calloused. And you must live with that every day. You must see the ugliness in yourself every day as you compare yourself to Jesus. And at that point, you need to be able to forgive yourself because self-forgiveness activates new beginnings. Amen. And what does it say in Lamentations 3, 20, 21 and 22? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Come on, everybody. Let's give the Lord a hand and take a praise break. They are new every morning. If it wasn't for the compassions of God, we would have all been consumed. Praise the Lord. Very important. This takes us to our next point, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Psalm 1, 2, and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. Joshua 1, 8. Let not this book of the law depart out of your mouth, but meditate therein day and night, and be careful to do everything that is written therein, for then you shall have success and prosperity. Praise the Lord. So our next point is this. You cannot last without supernatural food. The Bible is your food. It is the food of your spirit, man, and it is the food of your soul, and it is the healing of your fleshly body. The more of the Word of God you memorize, the healthier you will become, and the more of the Word of God you study and understand, the more powerful your mind becomes and your ability to perceive correctly and your ability to have the perspectives of God in your life. You live by your perspective and you die by your perceptions. These are very important things. You are all day long having perspectives about everybody and everything. And those perspectives need to be formed by the Word of God. The Word of God is your water, it is your milk, it is your bread, it is your meat. The Word of God is your sword. The Word of God is rain. The Word of God is seed. The Word of God is a mirror. The Word of God is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. My word that comes out of my mouth shall not return to me void without accomplishing that which I have sent it to do. I watch over my word in order to perform it and bring it to pass. You see, if you're on a starvation diet of the Word, then you are going to be vulnerable to temptation. Old temptations will resurrect. You're going to be vulnerable to perceiving, uh, to having perspectives that are not of God. You will see life the way God does not see it. You will have perspectives about people that are not of God, from God. You will have a perspective that is negative, defeated, and cynical. But if you are literally cleaning your brain with the Bible, washing your heart with the Bible, and having your identity formed by the Bible, then you become a walking hospital for the people you meet. 
you become a living deliverer and chain breaker for those that you come in contact with. You become a light in the darkness. You become a lamp to people's feet. And you become a source of medicine to those that are sick. And you end up curing and healing people by your language and by your words because it is not you speaking. It is God speaking out of your mouth with living words, which is the word of God illuminated by the rhema power of the Holy Spirit. Without this, you're going to be sad and weak, and you will be like an, a lost person without God. Your conclusions will be formed by your intellect, untouched by God. And the Bible says that Romans 8, 5 and 6, that the, the mind set on the flesh is death and corruption. But the mind set on the spirit is life, and peace. Praise God. Yes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you can prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Praise the Lord. Everybody lift your hands and say, holla, holla, that's what I'm talking about. So where is your relationship with the Bible? And let me ask you a more direct question. Where is your Bible? Right now. Do you not need one because you have it all memorized? Or is it that you don't ever hardly read the Bible? You actually hit no longer have a relationship with the Bible. This is the toe stomping that Melissa was talking about we're in right now in this moment. So, where is it? Because you're going to leave this meeting and go to a restaurant. Or go eat a roast that is being prepared right now. Because your body is craving food. When your spirit starts craving the word, now you're going to die. Literally inside you will shrink in strength, shrink in power, shrink in vision, shrink in purpose, and not be able to do what you were actually born and created to do. Praise the Lord. If you feel guilty for what I just said, good. <laughs> Repent. Which brings me to my next point, Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 through 19. Bring forth fruit that is aligned with your repentance. You cannot make it a long way in Christianity if you're not going to learn how to repent. You've got to repent when God shines his light on your sin. You've got to repent. You've got to say, God, forgive me for saying those things. Forgive me for lying. Forgive me for misleading. Forgive me for exaggerating. Forgive me for misrepresenting all of the things that I have done in my life many times that all of us have done in our lives because we are all basically liars unless the Holy Spirit helps us. Turn to two people and act shocked. <laughs> not me. You see, that's a lie. That, that, that's not me, that's a lie. Because inside there, the, the heart is deceitful, the Bible says, and desperately wicked who can know it. You need to be delivered from things, and deliverance comes from repentance. 
So as soon as you say to God, I repent for that, and what does the word repentance mean? It means to change your mind and go in the opposite direction. Praise God. You're going to have to repent so many times in your life. And if you're married, it's going to be a lifestyle. It's when you become so proud and egotistical and self-righteous that you can no longer apologize. Didn't feel the love on that, so I'm going to go over here and encourage myself. Praise God. I'm in, that was awesome. Glory to God. How'd you do that? Woo! That's, I needed that so bad. Woo! Jesus, help me. Now, this brings me to Mark 130. Jesus woke up a great while before morning and went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. This is important. If you're going to last, you must have an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus, not a religious one based on ideology. It's, you can't have a, a relationship with Jesus based on ritualistic thinking. You cannot have a relationship with God on legend or literary relationship. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus uh, if you believe he's a murderer, like a lot of people do. Oh, yeah. God kills everybody and yeah. things of this nature. You know, many atheists, remember that many atheists are actually not atheists. They just hate God. You can't hate somebody that doesn't exist. So they believe in God. They just hate him because their perspective and perception of God has been deceived through time. And they don't have the understanding that God truly is love and that God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Intimate relationship with God is talking to God every day in an unbroken fellowship all day long. All day long you're talking to God, you're getting your leading from God, your guidance from God. He's telling you what to choose and not choose, what to do and not do. At this point, the purging happens of your self-free will. Free will must be given to God in order for God to be in charge. If you keep your free will, God is not in charge of your life, and he's not leading your life, you are. And this is the thing that a lot of people can't do. They can't surrender their free will. But actually, this is the essence of Christianity. Jesus said it best in Luke chapter 24. Not my will be done, but your will be done. There's a point where he becomes the master of your life, not just the savior of your life. And this is the big, big deal right here, what I'm telling you, is Jesus becoming the Lord of your will, where you say, I am not here to give my opinion about things. I'm here to give the convictions and truths of God concerning the word of God. And if the word of God is just the word of man, then you have no savior and nothing to base your life on except your own mind. And remember, there are 8,500,000,000 people on earth that are all individuals, and each one has a different fingerprint. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. I choose the Bible, and I choose to believe that the Bible is inerrant, and it is the Word of God. Therefore, I base my eternity on what Jesus says and God says in the Bible. That is what I'm willing to place my eternal soul on. I'm not going to place it on a sinner like Buddha. 
He was very overweight, so he had an eating problem. I'm not going to base my life on that. I'm not going to base my life on anybody who was a sinner. There's only one religion that claims a Savior that was sinless, and that is Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so I'm going for the sinless Savior, and I'm going to put all my trust in that. And when I die, I'm going to open my eyes and be in glory and be in heaven. And my mother will be there, and my brothers will be there, and my sisters will be there. And, and, and all the people that have gone before me that I love will be there. And I will be met by thousands of people that have gotten saved. And I preach the gospel to them and say, I got saved. I'm going to go, okay, I'm so happy. I'm not just going to die and turn into dirt. If you're going to last, you need to maintain your relationship with Jesus all day. Christianity does not work if you do not love Jesus. And you cannot love him in theory. You must be emotionally connected to him. How many of you have dogs? Do you like them? We got a niff on there, yeah. <laughs> but you get close to your dogs, and when they pass away, you weep. Right? Because what is, what is the nature of a dog but to love unconditionally? And this is why we need a relationship with Jesus, because he gives us something that is undefinable. It actually cannot be defined because it, it goes to realms of our essence that we do not understand or know, yet it fulfills us, gratifies us, and satisfies us with deep, immeasurable peace and with outrageous joy and with tremendous faith, confidence, and victory as we walk with God. Praise the Lord. Which brings me to my next point. The power of life and death, Proverbs 18 tells us, is in the tongue. Amen? If you're going to last, don't talk bad about people. Don't be one of those Christians that finds secret information about somebody and then exposes that information to people. Because remember something, we're all sinners. We've all sinned, but we've also been forgiven by God. Is that correct? Yes. Now, what kind of forgiveness does God practice? Does he practice the, your sins are forever alive and will ever be known, and they'll be like a commercial periodically every few years so you can understand that you are still? No. God says, I forgive you, and I forget what you did and erase it from my memory. In other words, God has a graveyard of forgetfulness where he puts all your sins. He doesn't bring them up every few years, but gossips do. What does this mean? Well, this means that you can't go to God's graveyard where he has forgiven someone and forgotten it and drag the skeleton out after 10, 20, 30, or 40 years and then bring that thing out and show it to everybody. You will inherit a curse if you are a gossip. 
If you are talking bad about people to people that it's not, none of their business, you are going to inherit a curse. And it is very clear in the Bible that those that gossip and slander and accuse are in partnership with Satan. What does it say in Revelation 12? He is the accuser of the brethren. Please understand that what you say with your mouth will control much of your destiny. You need to be talking like God talks about people, praying in faith over people, and believing the best for people like Jesus did with Peter. After Peter was going to deny him, Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to deny me. Even though you're saying you're not, you're going to deny me. But after you repent, feed my sheep. He didn't say, you terrible, hypocritical Judas. I can't believe it, Peter. He didn't say any of that. He didn't condemn him. He just said, hey, you're gonna when you repent, feed my sheep. Do your job. Get over that. That's a beautiful way of handling your language. If you're a cusser, then you're in partnership with Satan's language. Satan invented profanity. If you're a complainer, remember that complaining is how we tell God we do not trust his plan for our life. Gratitude is how we acknowledge that God is in control of the events going on in our life. Praise the Lord. Look at somebody around you and say, holla, holla, that's what I'm talking about. Which brings me to my next point, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin are death. And here's my point. If you're going to last, don't make friends with sin. Don't just invite sin into your life and say, look, I'm going to not have anything to do with these three sins, but these three, I'm asking God to legalize. Because I really like smoking pot. And it's not that bad. It's being legalized, so surely I can do it. Don't make friends with things you know in your heart are sin. Don't condemn yourself when you fail with sin. Because remember this. A righteous man falls seven times. But the Lord will lift him up and uphold him with his hand. What does this mean? It means for everything in your life that is bad and sinful, there is a moment where you have an encounter with God and the power of that thing is broken off of your life and never again will you serve it. Why are you not clapping right now? What is going on? Let's say that's what I'm talking about. Because Jesus defeated all sin. All sin has been defeated by Jesus. Can everybody say it out loud? All sin has been defeated by Jesus. Come on, say it out loud. All sin has been defeated by Jesus. Praise God. Which brings me to my next point. This is really important. Don't hate people who deserve to be hated. Hate is how you make Satan your pastor. Everyone here has at least three or four people they can freely hate. The opportunity is there. 
but don't take it. Now, if you hate people you don't know for how they look, then you're a racist, of course, and there are no racists in heaven. If you actually think that one color is superior to another color, you're going to hell. I don't know how else to say it. You will burn in the fires of eternal hell for thinking that your color is superior to somebody else's color. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God is a God of diversity. He invented it. He made us all different. And we celebrate each other's diversity. Praise God. We don't say, oh, you look, I don't like that. If you hate a person you don't know, you're going to have real problems in your life. Now, you can hate people you know. Praise God. <laughs> you surely can. What are you talking about, Ivan? This is a heresy. No, well, let me finish talking. Before, before you judge me, obviously we hate people, I do regularly, who I know because of what they did, but I quickly have to surrender that to God and say, God, I can't have this in my life. It's a cancer and I don't want it, so I forgive. But to feel hatred when somebody has done something bad to someone you love is natural for many of us, not everybody, for many of us. We're all different. Some of us actually don't care about anything. <laughs> Which brings me to my next point. <laughs> Psalm 63, and this is very powerful. And also Psalm 42. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth for you. Think of this. If you're going to last, it's your job to maintain your hunger for God. It's your job to stay desperate for God. It's your job to stay hungry for God. It's your job to keep your prayer life alive and your fervor and fire for God alive by enjoying God. If you don't enjoy God, you're not going to last. You've got to find that place of enjoyment between you and God where serving the Lord and walking with God is the most enjoyable thing in your life and it is the most fulfilling thing in your life and you must find that and you must keep that alive every day and you must maintain and cultivate that every day. Otherwise, you're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. What happens to a Christian who goes to church but does, is not close to God? They become legalistic, judgmental Pharisees. They're unkind and cruel. They're not famous for being compassionate, understanding or forgiving, kind, gentle. They're, they're known as attackers, fighters, confronters, critics. That's what happens to a Christian who goes to church but does not have an intimate relationship with God. If you're going to last, which brings me to my next point, James 1.27, pure religion, pure worship. The word religion is the word worship. My wife did a teaching on it, and that's where I got the information. <laughs> pure religion, pure worship, is to rescue orphans and widows and keep your life unspotted from the world. 
I'm sorry to tell you, brothers and sisters, that the only way you're going to last as a Christian is if you're rescuing somebody. You've got to be in a constant state of rescuing people. You've got to develop the lifestyle and habit of going around rescuing people. It is the thing that makes you feel alive, close to God, and anointed. You can't just sit there and be a selfish Christian practicing selfish Christianity, which I'm going to get everything for me, and then just keep it. Everything you get from God is there to be given away so that it can multiply. This allows you to live a long life. Praise God. Which brings me to my next point. 1 Samuel 18, 1 and 2. David and Jonathan loved each other and were knit together in their soul. And Jonathan, David took his sword and gave it to Jonathan. And they became close and intimate friends. If you're going to last, you need to learn how to have and surround yourself with people that heal you, not with people that make you sick. And the ones that make you sick, that you can't get rid of, you need to learn how to manage. And say, this person is forever in my life, I can't get rid of them. But they have toxicity and I need to learn how to manage that. Because the number one influencing thing in your life is people. Remember these words. We're only as close to God as our ability to love the most difficult person in our lives. Praise God. Man measures success by how much money we make. God measures success by how many ugly people we can make beautiful. Which brings me to my next point, 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out fear. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have not love, I am nothing. 2 Timothy 1.5. Make love your aim. By this you shall know, they shall know that you are my disciples, because You love one another. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Praise God. Song of Solomon 8, 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If I were to give all the riches of my life, it would all be counted as trash. Praise God. Song of Solomon 2, 1, 2, and 3. His banner over me is love. What is the most powerful thing you can do to last? Stay in the love of God. Don't let people knock you out. Keep loving people that you don't like. Practice Christianity the way Jesus did it, which is give to the poor. Write checks to people that are trying to steal money from you. Pray for people that are gossiping about you. Send blessings to those that are persecuting you. And be good to those that treat you bad. This is called biblical Christianity. And this is how you're going to survive and last a long time. I got through about a third of them, but I got through a few of them. Praise the Lord. Look at seven people right now and say, praise God. How about $25? Glory to God. (laughs) Look at someone next to you and say, I'm going to last. And last, and last. 
but I'm going to be thriving. Not just surviving. And please be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and tell yourself, ask yourself, am I surviving or am I thriving? This, thriving, is spelled divine functionality. It's when you function in the divine purpose of God for your life.